And one of the things that we learned is that we, in order for this to feel very authentic to TPG, there were some features of it that we just needed to be very careful that we didn't lose. So one of the things that is very distinctive, for example, I alluded to, we have the the chassis of TPG at our disposal. And that means that we have investment acumen. We have operational acumen. We have functions of cross firm in legal, HR, finance, that have a lot of expertise that can be extremely beneficial to these managers building their own firms. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome everyone, this is Bethany Kutz, CEO of Breakline Education. I am so excited about our guest here today, Annie Lou Vasquez-Ubari. She and I met, Annie Lou, should I date us? It was a while ago, 29 years ago. In our freshman year in college, we have known each other for quite a while. Annie Lou is a partner and CHRO at TPG Global. She's a board member of Upwork Greenhouse. She previously built a career at Goldman Sachs, where she was managing director, chief diversity officer, and global head of talent. On top of all that, she has her bachelor's from Princeton, her JD from Fordham. And I've only like touched on some of the surface achievements that this woman has racked up along the way. So Annie Lou, I'm just delighted to have you here. This is so much fun. Well, it's always been fun for us to talk. I mean, 29 years sounds uh, very long, uh, but um, it's true. And, and I'm very delighted to be uh, talking with you and to be associated with your great organization and the work that you do. Well, I couldn't be happier to create this space with you. And I want our listeners to know that Annie Lou and I actually formed this idea for this fireside chat during our 25th college reunion, which happened over the summer. So we're making it making it a reality today. So Annie Lou, I gave some of the highlights, your career, your academics. What else do you want our community to know? And as you know, as a partner of Breakline, we serve women, people of color, people with disabilities, veterans. What do you want our audience to know about you and about, about the journey that you've walked to this yeah, one that I think in in a in a very limited way, I have I think a lot of understanding for um, how they might feel as they encounter new opportunities or new ambitions, and I think that that's one of the things about the community that you have built, Bethany, that I really like that you're enabling their ambitions to become a reality. 
And so I still, to this day, you know, even though you've been so kind to highlight all those, you know, accomplishments and opportunities that I've had, every time something new comes up, I still think, you know, through can this Puerto Rican girl have that? Um, and I also think that with the benefit of many years now, also that, you know, being different is an asset. And there's a lot to say for being memorable in a room if you're going to be the only one that maybe looks like you or has the experience that you had. Just make sure you're not the only one forever. Make sure that you're paying it back and making sure that you're diversifying the risk that you walk through. Well, I think that's a really interesting sort of place to just leap into this conversation together because what I've noticed, one of the many things that I notice and admire about you is when people ask you about yourself, you often talk about your team, your organization, the boards that you're a part of, the the work that you contribute to alongside other people. You're very other focused, which I think is a, an incredible leadership trait. But in particular, with respect to diversity, you mentioned your Puerto Rican background. You grew up in Puerto Rico and um, you've, you are one of the only, one of the few in boardrooms and in executive leadership roles. And your reaction to that has been to build the pipeline to come right after you. And I want to shine a light on the work that you've done at TPG in this respect. I was just so astounded to see the impact that you and your team have had at the board level. And you started out several years ago looking for gender parity on boards, and then it branched out into other diverse communities as well from there. Can you talk yeah. to us a little bit about, about that initiative? Yeah, absolutely. And the reality is that the the fact that an organization like TPG was focused on this before I joined was one of the things that attracted me to the yeah. organization, not just as a professional, but quite frankly, again, as a diverse woman myself. I think it, it was very telling that they were willing to not only be a leader, but actually really commit to something that would be impactful, not just for TPG, but for the industry. So that concept uh, was born out of a very authentic um, desire to contribute. I, I think that one of the things about TPG that I think it's very important for people listening, if you want to make change in your organization, also is that you don't have to wait to be perfect yourself in order to be part of change and, and contribute. And I think that that was a very important thing because in 2017, when that initiative started, I don't think that we at TPG said that we cracked the code on being the most diverse organization that we could be, but there was a commitment for that. And therefore, because we were going to be loyal and authentic to that commitment, we felt that we had the moral state today, right, to ask the same from our portfolio companies. But deep down inside, there was also a very big understanding that that was the commercial thing to do as well. And when you look at it now, what we know is that not only do we have more diverse boards, that is important for many reasons. We have better boards. 
us. There's better governance. And we are not the ones, the people saying that are our CEOs and our portfolio companies. And I think that that's a very important message to take away from when you're embarking in an initiative, particularly that may not be, you know, yet popular and not well understood. Having a compass of what you want to accomplish and what you're doing. But you're right. The the team at TPG, which is broad and it includes my colleague Ben Holzemer, who took the initiative uh, with John Winkle and Coulter and all of the business unit leaders, because at the heart of that initiative, it's really our investing teams in partnership with our human capital team that are taking the lead and owning. And that's yeah. important because it, it can't be HR told you to right. do it. It has to be something that people really believe in and are willing to put, you know, their own accountability on the line. Well, one thing that I think is so true about the narrative that you just recounted for us is that diversity is synonymous with performance. You know, you talked about these boards performing at a higher level because they diversified, because they added increased expertise and perspectives around the table. And one of the things that we found at Breakline, like a point of friction that we we anticipate and need to move through often is something that we call the loss mindset, which is the instinct that sometimes crops up immediately when we think about adding diversity to our team, hiring a diverse candidate, adding a diverse professional to our board, is that there has to be a trade-off, a trade-off of quality, a trade-off of expertise, a trade-off of performance. And what I love about the story that you just told is that it dispels this myth. And I really, you know, through our work at Breakline and elsewhere, I'm just so excited to continue dispelling that myth. Diversity means performance. That's what's so powerful about it especially when we align it as you have with business outcomes. Yeah, I think language is very important, Bethany. And I observe people talking about diversity, even the biggest proponents. And by the way, sometimes the diverse people talking about it too. Mm -hmm. And I, I pay a lot of attention when there's a sentence that includes a diversity, but yes, or diversity and Mm-hmm. It should not be like it should not be even part of the vocabulary because you're only saying that out loud because you yourself doubt about whether they're equivalent diversity and performance, talent and commercial results. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we all need to train ourselves to really examine our vocabulary when mm-hmm. we talk about this topic because it actually means something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned. You know, your own experience serving on a board. And actually, we were talking about this when we met up over the summer at Princeton. And as I recall, you said that it might have been Jim Coulter encouraged you to join a board. I'm not sure which one it was, but he really wanted you to serve on that board. And he was encouraging you in that direction. And I was just thinking about the role of mentorship and having champions and cultivating champions and how it almost doesn't even matter if they identify with the same communities that you identify with, as long as they can help you in a meaningful way. 
And so I'm I'm just interested in your perspective on that, you know, cultivating champions and mentors and people who care about you who can help. Because at the outset of my career, I had no idea how pivotal that would be for me and and how intentional I should be about that, that aspect of, you know, showing up as a professional and as a leader. Yeah, I have been incredibly lucky throughout my career. And if I really look at it, even if I go back before college, you know, I was a swimmer competitively, as you may recall, growing up. And my coaches were great mentors to me. I just didn't know that word back then to identify it. Um, so that role has been incredibly important um, in my life. And I'm eternally grateful to every single mentor because they saw something in me that made them take an interest. And that's a really important thing. It's important in your personal life. It's important in your professional life. Yeah, Jim Coulter and, and John Winkle Reed were very supportive of me, not only, you know, ultimately getting on, on a board, but actually when I started TPG, that was one of the things that they said, you know, this is one of the things you should work towards and, and will complete your experience on. And it's something that, you know, working in a private equity firm is a lot more accessible than, you know, in my previous experience at Coleman, which, you know, I had a great opportunity, but actually board service was one that was not available. So we talked about it from the beginning. It it also connects to another great piece of advice that Jim gave me, which was when I joined, he said, you should join every investment committee decision that you can, because it's important for people to see you in your role in those discussions and that you really understand the business and the discussion so much that you'll learn. And that was actually also really critical for me to be able to partner with, you know, the deal team, for example, that did Greenhouse, which is the portfolio company that, that I'm one of the boards that I'm on. So I think it's incredibly important for people to surround themselves by people, not only that have accomplished things and can serve as an example, but that can push you to see yourself in the next two or three stages, because we all kind of think a little bit small uh, when it comes to us and what we can accomplish. So, and I also think that it's important to have mentors that don't think exactly like you. So not just that they don't look like you, but that don't think like you. And one of my mentors at, at Goldman was someone who he and I had just very different styles. And whenever he gave me advice of how to do something or to do something, I knew I was not going to be able to get to like the 100% of what he wanted me to do. But because I had that, I moved maybe 25%, maybe 50%. And, and it did lead me to do things differently in a way that was very empowering to me. And also it taught me how to do that with respect to my mentees. So Views on mentorship is that you need it, you should seek it, you should treat it with a lot of respect. If someone is willing to spend time with you, make sure that it's a reciprocal relationship and that they're gaining something out of the interactions with you. I also think that mentorship can happen and it's excellent to happen at the peer level. I've had the the fortune of working with co-heads and other peers that 
I really trust their judgment and I go to for advice. And then the most important mentorship relationships I have are what I call my reverse mentees, you know, people that maybe I think I'm mentoring, but have given me many gifts, like, you know, knowing what the whisper get is on me, really, because they're willing to tell me the truth and have taught me a lot about how to interact with up and coming talent. So I'm a big fan of it. And I spend a lot of time mentoring other people because I have gotten a lot of mentorship in my career. Annie Lou, I love those points. And there are a couple of things I wanted to just pull out that you mentioned. I want to put it under this umbrella about the insistence of being seen for all of who you are. I came across this great quote, and you were talking about joining the board at Upwork, and you said you were not the first board member from a diverse background. And understanding that that was true communicated to you that they, you said they wanted me for my expertise, not to meet a requirement. And so again, like just being seen and being valued for the totality of who you are, I think is so important. And I think that that's particularly important for a mentor, you know, to understand that you're special, that you have both a tremendous amount of capability, but also potential. And as you said, that person is able to help you walk those next couple of steps. And then another point that you've made in the past is the importance and the delicacy of feedback. And sometimes when you're being mentored, the feedback is tough. It's something you need to be doing differently, you know, and to be able to receive that feedback and action it, I think is super, super important. And then on your point about reciprocity, We should all remember, even if the gift that you give back is the gift of appreciation, you know, the thank you so much. This was Mm -hmm. exactly what I needed to move forward. That is a reciprocal relationship. It doesn't mean, you know, some fancy, you know, thing that you can put on somebody's desk. It can truly be the gift of appreciation. But I love that. I love those points that you made. Absolutely. And I also think on this point on feedback to the point of being grateful, you know, I always say to people, when whomever it is takes the time to give you feedback, particularly if it is feedback that the person knows is going to be hard for you to take, you have to do everything in your power to leave them with the impression that you were thankful and while it stops, you appreciate it so that they have a desire to come back another time and tell you because the human nature is if the person has a bad reaction why would you do that again right right Um, and so we need to remember that people could just be silent and not tell you really what they think or what they've heard and i said that's in a place where i literally struggled so much um earlier in my career with feedback and and the thing is that where it was coming from was that If it was particularly coming from someone who I thought extremely highly of, then I really didn't want to disappoint them. That's when it was harder because it it was really like almost like this embarrassment, right? That I have let someone out. And over the years, I've learned to get over that part of my feeling and my reaction. It has made it a lot 
easier to hear it, to tolerate it, to act on it. I still don't. I must be clear. But, but it's so, but it's been such a lesson for me also when I give people feedback, which I have been known to give a lot of in real time and directly, that I do make sure that people know where I'm coming from. Yeah. And that it's okay and that they don't need to be embarrassed. And I try to share times in my life where I've received either that same feedback or feedback that made me feel maybe the way that they were feeling. Because I do think it's a, it's a hard dynamic, you know, particularly to really respect the person giving mm-hmm. you a seat. Mm-hmm. you're you grew up in Puerto Rico. I have Italian heritage and I'm so spicy. So one of my one of my tactics that I've come to embrace as I've gotten more senior in my career is just taking a beat with feedback too, because you're right that especially constructive feedback that that it can it can sting. You know, there's there's something about it that can sting. And I think being willing to let it settle, you know, before responding is so important. Your other point around how important it is. It's so important. And as a leader, you, you said you give feedback regularly, you give it in the moment. And it's just so crucial and it's a mark of great leadership because what you're doing is saying, I respect you enough and I admire you enough and I believe in you enough to give you this piece of wisdom about how you can get from where you are to where you need to be and where you could be. And so I think kind of adopting that mindset when you're in one of those moments can be helpful mm-hmm. to navigate through it. Yeah, I agree. So you all have had a, announced a huge initiative, and I'd love to just talk through it a little bit with you. It's the inaugural TPG Next Fund to invest in underrepresented alternative asset managers. This is an enormous initiative. You've been a core part of the team behind it. And I'd love for you to just talk to us a little bit about it, you know, why you found it important and what you all are hoping to accomplish. Yeah, I am incredibly proud of TPG Next and of TPG for having an initiative that our hopes are not only will enhance TPG, but as I mentioned, that maybe we'll make a difference for the industry as a whole. And I say that very humbly, not because we think that TPG, again, has a preaching role in that, but because the opportunity set is so big and our firms have such an opportunity really to make a contribution. So yeah, TPG Next, I've been working on TPG Next since I got to this firm, you know, a little bit over four and a half years ago. So to see it now be officially a fund and for those of you that haven't heard about it, the the TPG Next Fund is to here to empower principal underrepresented talent in the alternative asset management world. And we are seeking to back really the next generation of people that are trying to start their firms. They have ambitions about their strategies. They have creativity and passion and investment acumen to do it. And what they need is a strategic partner like us to accelerate the time that will take them to reach their potential. And we're really at the end managing mismatch of the talent and the opportunity. 
And so we're making the market efficient. And that's very much in our wheelhouse to do. PPG Next is different from other initiatives that are trying to also contribute in this regard because we're not only potentially seeding and taking stakes and accelerating uh, progress through strategic partnerships, we also could come in as an LP, an investor, and also really worth thinking about it. How can we be the broadest solution for these managers? And so it's a market solution strategy really at the end of the day. And we believe that this market is going to grow. We have had a very healthy pipeline of people that could be our partners in TPG Next that has grown exponentially with uh, the announcement that happened a few weeks ago. And we're very excited about the opportunity to partner with Calpers as Anchor LP, but we're in conversations with others that are like-minded and that also think that this will be important. We, TPG, did this as a team. We, not unlike other things that we've done, we incubated it in-house and had made three investments before we had the fund. We did that from our balance sheet and it had the board of M, John, and a number of my colleagues across the firm, literally the entire firm has touched the initiative and contributed their, their skill sets to it. But now we have Emma Pavkov, uh, who is running in it, she's come in as the partner to lead us into the 2.0 for it. And so we're very excited. So I, I love this so much. And I think it's such an excellent example of best practice for so many different reasons. One of which is it's very concrete. Helpers, you mentioned as your, your anchor partner in it is contributing $500 million. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's like a very concrete amount of funding that's available. And I think especially when we're trying to advance the priority of diversity and representation, it can be frustratingly vague what the goal is, what the outcome is supposed to be. And so I love that you all are putting your stamp on it in a very transparent way. But I also really like that you piloted it, Annie Lou, because I think sometimes if we start out with too big of a vision, and we don't achieve it because it's harder, you know, or it takes longer or it's more complicated or whatever, then we, it, it makes us less likely to go back and try again. And instead, you all piloted on a smaller level, made sure you could succeed and then expanded from there. Will you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that pilot phase? Like, what did that look like? How did that come together? Yeah. That's actually really interesting that you've picked up on that because I have been a big fan of pilots. And I think that pilots allow you to be brave and bold and manage the potential risk while still being able to do it. So I'm a big believer in it. And I think that, again, as an organization, we have taken the opportunity many times to look at the proof case. And so whether you pull out a pilot or if we're just noticing in one of our businesses that there's a trend that is emerging and you start to look at it and pay attention to it in a different way. If you think about that, that's what happened in terms of our rice core and then rice climate. We started to notice that a lot of our pipeline was in the climate, broadly speaking, area. And so that let us raise fund as well. But I think the pilot was 
important. And 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 I agree with you that it's hopefully this can be a, a helpful framework for people. First of all, we learned a lot through through it that has informed and helped us refine what now has become the strategy with uh, with third party capital. And one of the things that we learned is that we, in order for this to feel very authentic to TPG, there were some features of it that we just needed to be very careful that we didn't lose. So one of the things that is very distinctive, for example, I alluded to, we have the the chassis of TPG at our disposal, and that means that we have investment acumen. We have operational acumen. We have functions of cross firm in legal, HR, finance, that have a lot of expertise that can be extremely beneficial to these managers building their own firms. We also have an expansive network from a capital formation perspective from fundraise. All of those things are things that when you're certainly a first-time manager, but even if it's your second, third son, Having the ability to access that network, to call someone uh, to reveal a deal with you, maybe even a theme that you're thinking about in terms of a strategy. At the same time that, you know, it's the same firm that can counsel you. And if you're thinking about bringing partners, how to compensate them and have that very close-knit partnership, it's really important, but it's also very characteristic of how we like to engage with any of our portfolio companies, with any of our relationships, we're very hands. And so that business building capability that we bring to the table is very distinct. Those, when you think about underrepresented managers, it, that doesn't exist in the market today. And so we felt that we could, you know, build that need in the market that we were hearing from the managers that we were talking to the, the the, the people who were starting their firms. So very responsive to the market. And I think that that's what pilots allow you to do. You start with an idea, you test it, and then you have to be open to the feedback and also be willing to change course. You can't get too enamored with a feature just because it was your idea, because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And if you want the ultimate thing to be successful, you just need to be willing and, and humble to change. And so when you think about the broader spectrum of diversity initiatives as a whole, I think it's a very helpful exercise. And I also think the other thing that it allowed us to do, for example, in TPG Next, is that it gave the time for our organization to gain a ton of conviction that this was an important strategy for the firm. And so we are now launching from a position of great strength internally as well. Thank you so much for that, Annie Lou. There's so much there, as always, that I find really interesting. And I just cannot agree with you more about the power of a pilot and giving yourself the chance to build up over time rather than starting big and having to pull back because you didn't understand the landscape or, or how to attack it. But the other reason to do it, which you also mentioned, is if you're just running an experiment, an informed experiment, but an experiment nonetheless, you have less invested in needing a particular outcome and you can let the data lead you versus if I start by spending 
$20 million on this one thing, if it doesn't go the way I think it should, I got a lot of sunk costs there that I need to justify in some way. So giving yourself the flexibility, you know, to go with where the data leads you, I think is so important. The other thing I really liked that you said was around the authenticity, because this work is hard and it takes time. And being able to center it within what's true for you is partly, I think, what gives us the energy to go the distance, you know? And I do see, and I'm curious about your perspective on this, like some mimicry, you know, or some, like the the need to imitate what someone else is doing as if that's the only way to contribute. And I see this, especially on the performative side, like I need to be wearing the t-shirt. I need to use a particular slogan. I even need to go to this one day event or one hour event, you know, cause that's the thing. And that imitation is fleeting and it's the stuff that can be expensive. It can be time consuming and it will not get to the answer that we all want. Just curious about your thoughts on that. Like the authenticity enables us to dig really deeply, which I think is what, what we need in this type of space. Yeah, I learned a very valuable lesson uh, in 2016 when the first, I think that the consciousness around the racial unrest that happened. And at that time, I was at Goldman and Goldman was very dedicated to this topic and, and had been for a while. But I remember thinking a year later that we have done all of the the events, activities, emails, memos that everyone had done. And yet a year later, people were just not talking about it anymore. And I felt responsible for that because I was back then in in my role already as chief diversity officer. But it was a great lesson for me. So when the, unfortunately, when we were there again in, in 2020, it was very important to me that that didn't happen again under my watch. And so we, I just decided to do things differently. And one of the things that we did at TPG was that we made it be beyond the activity part. And we made it about what did it mean for us and what were the lessons for us, not just what we can contribute, but we we did, you know, over 30 roundtables as a firm Mm. to talk about race and the implications of race and our comfort and discomfort as employees of TBG. And we talked about it and it, that enabled human connection and uh, ability to really share experiences for our diverse employees, but for those employees in the majority, some of which, again, had been great supporters and allies, but discovered, I think, a new level mm-hmm. of intensity to the experience that some of their colleagues, you know, people were talking about, you know, their own experiences as diverse people that many people here were like shocked, right? Mm-hmm. Because how can this be happening to one of my colleagues. So I think proximity is a very important aspect of this work. That's why I think the board diversity initiative works, actually, because what 
our investing teams are really like what's really happening is that now they have this network that is a lot more diverse of incredible people, of course, but that they have on their board. So they're interacting with them in their board discussions and kind of partnering with them, right? And that creates, you know, a relationship that then can lead to either other board service, maybe to consider them for an ISER role. Maybe they're going to be the medicine team at our next, you know, portfolio company. But and the reason is because it's they're getting to know the person from a very different perspective. And so I think we undervalue proximity as yeah. a goal of uh, long lasting and effective diversity, equity and inclusion strategies. Mm-hmm. That is so funny that you just said that because our team was just having a conversation over Slack and saying When you're working shoulder to shoulder with an excellent person, it can clear up some some biases real quick. You know, like just that that education of what excellence looks like and the fact that it comes in lots of different packages. But the real life experience brings it home, I think, in in a powerful way. I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about setting boundaries. And, and, and that could go in a couple of different directions, but I, you know, because you and I met when we were young women, we were teenagers when, when we first met, I, on my professional journey have gone through many phases of boundary setting. And for a long time, I don't even know that it was a conscious thing that I did, but my role was to make other people comfortable. So even when I was uncomfortable, I understood that the most important thing was that the people around me, particularly if they were men, felt comfortable with me. And I distinctly remember a couple of times in my career where I was like, fuck no, I'm done. And, you know, and just got to a point where I was not going to show up that way anymore. And one happened just as I was starting Breakline, actually, where I, I was feeling so mistreated by this person who I was very close to. And another happened a, a few years earlier than that, but they like stuck out in my mind because it really was finally like, I I get to be bigger than this and I will be bigger than this. Mm-hmm. Do you like, as as I, and, and I could tell you the details offline, <laughs> But online, following up on that one. Yeah, exactly. But do you like, do those reflections make, you know, remind you of any of those moments in your life where you, you consciously said, I am going to take up more space Yeah. And, you know, the, I have similarly not always been the best at saying certain boundaries. In terms of like maybe scheduling hours or even when the hours come in terms of work. And I've, I've gotten better at that, but I also have accepted that a big part of that is just also who I am and how I like to engage. And so I, I need to therefore work extra hard with my teams to 
message to them that just because I do it this way, that is not the expectation that I have of them. It also, that is not a FaceTime thing for me. I really could care less where people are. And I literally tell them because I said, I'm going to call you. If I need you, I'm going to call you. I don't know anyone's like show phone extension. No people's cell phone, right? On my team. So, but I think people, I, I know I need to say things and be very proactive about sending people on vacations and all of that because I don't want them to do as I do if that's not, you know, it's that's infringing on their boundaries. But there are other things where I definitely have said, I don't need to stay in this situation for any longer than I want. And that, to me, I've always actually very clear on that. And I haven't had a lot of work transitions, but I have gotten very comfortable once I've made a decision why I'm going. And by the way, it doesn't have to be about like something that happened, but it's also getting comfortable with the fact that something different and better can come your way. So I think on the boundaries, the reason why we struggle, and as women, I feel like I hear a lot of women talk about this more than men. I'm not sure that it's just a woman thing, but we certainly talk about it more is because we are not that comfortable with doing something that is just good for us. And I think we need to think differently because if it's good for us, it's gonna have some other positive um, things as well. Now, obviously, you have to be thoughtful and responsible, particularly as you get more senior actually about the the boundaries and how they impact other people. But as far as I'm concerned, particularly at work, the 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 reason why work exists is to provide for your family and for your intellectual and personal development and enjoyment. And so there's really no other reason to do it. And so put surround yourself by people and and being in organizations that allow you to be who you want to be. It's such important advice that nonetheless, I, I feel like we sometimes neglect. I, and I wanted to pick up on, on one piece that, that you shared there, which was around the fact that you work hard, you know, because that's who you are and, and you're motivated and you're driven and you're ambitious and sort of moving from a place where you had to justify that even to yourself to a place of acceptance that that's who you are. I also think it's so important and maybe particularly important for working moms. And one of the mm-hmm. ways that this comes up for me, and Elon, I don't know if you get this question, but I'll, I have four daughters and I'll often get the like, how do you balance it all? And that word I was just saying to somebody today actually triggers me because I don't aspire to balance. I aspire mm-hmm. to sustainability and to impact. But sometimes when we're in this broader construct of like, it should be balanced that you're going after, it should be whatever. It's so important to remind ourselves that we're the authors of our own existence and our own pursuits and the life that we're creating. Yeah. And I, you know, I've had working parents, both of them doctors. My mom was an OBGYN and my dad a pediatrician. So 
my mom was the one getting up more often than my dad in the middle of the night, right, to go deliver TV. So um, I'm fortunate that the women in my family actually for many generations not only worked and that was their decision, but were not judgmental about other women that chose to do it differently. I never heard in my house any comment uh, from my mother about, oh, she stays at home. So I really was fortunate to, to grow up with no bias in that situation. So I, it could apply either way. And one thing that I, it, when people talk about kids, you know, I have two boys, as you know, and one of the things that is unique about us is that Marcus and I have been married for, it's going to come up 26 years. You remember, that, you know, I got married while I was a senior in college, the traditional, right? But that then, and we waited eight years to have our first kid. And there are eight years in between my oldest and my youngest. That's how my husband and I decided to manage our professional and personal lives. That works for us. That would not have been right for many other people. And so I think that there are even decisions like that, that when women and men increasingly are asking me this question, I said, you do you on this. And it's helpful to talk to other parents, but no one else's circumstances are going to be exactly like yours. You can take examples and ideas from a lot of different places. But, you know, my, my husband and I, particularly at the beginning of our careers, we have to take turns on who, you know, and I remember distinctly both being lawyers at our law firms and the game of telephone would start, you know, at around 5 or 5.30 when we had our son about like, who's going to go home tonight? Who's going to, what do you have? And so, you know, having a support system around you, whether it's your husband, your partner, your wife, you know, an extended group of people, family, friends, you know, wonderful people that, that come into your life to take care of your kids. I think that people just need to do whatever works for them that is going to allow them to multitask because that's, that's the reality. And we're so fortunate if we're even having this conversation, right? Like there are a lot of women that unfortunately don't even get choice for many circumstances. So I think that, you know, being a mother has been extremely important to me. It's something that I've enjoyed tremendously. And I really enjoy also my job and I don't see a conflict. I love that. And Anilu, I know we're coming up on time. So my last question, you know, I'm thinking of myself, like coming from that small town in New England, showing up at Princeton and just my eyes bugging out of my head. Like I could not believe <laughs> what I had been stepping into. And I'm thinking of you coming from Puerto Rico, you know, just like arriving at this campus and having this experience. And I look at where you are now. I mean, you're at the pinnacle. You're in a leadership position at an incredible firm, sitting on the boards of amazing companies. And it's so extraordinary to see how your life and career has unfolded. And I'm also really interested, you know, as you look back at that 18-year-old young woman, if you could have given her advice, knowing what you know today, what's the advice that you would give? 
Well, th- what I oftentimes think about how did I manage to do that? It, and this is like not instinctive answer is what comes to mind is ignorance is bliss. Had I known, you know, I mean, I tell people even my English was in Spanish. <laughs> it spoke to me like you know, growing up. It, had I known the enormity and had really spent time being all kind of putting my self-worth on whether I got into Princeton or another school, I don't think I would have made that definitely because that's too much pressure to carry around. And so what I've tried to do is remember that that allowed me, that was actually very helpful to me. And so when there have been other, you know, opportunities, and obviously, as you grow up, you understand a lot more of the enormity of certain opportunities. I tried to bring myself back down to forget about the name TPG, forget about the Goldman Sachs thing. When you're there in your office, when no one's looking, are you going to be proud of what you're doing, who you're doing it with, and, and how you're doing? And are you going to leave the place in a better state than how you stopped it? And that has been incredibly helpful. My kids also help because they really don't care. As far as they're concerned, I just go to meetings and take phone calls. And I go to meetings at any kind of different places. So my kids have helped me not take myself too seriously. I love that. Annie Lou, what a treat to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. Annie Lou Vasquez-Ubari, partner in CHRO at TPG Global close, wonderful, warm friend over many, many years. It's so fantastic to hear a little bit more of your story. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of The Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.